You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 622 for July 19th, 2023. On this episode, pianist and vocalist Lila Bialy returns. Members of the Jazz Session also get This I Dig of You, the Patreon bonus show on which I ask the guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical that is bringing them joy. Lila talks about hiking, and you can hear that episode by becoming a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll also get early access to every episode of the Jazz Session. You'll get more behind-the-scenes info. You'll get other bonus shows. And for every episode, I choose one Patreon supporter to name as the sponsor of that episode. This time around, it's Randy White. Thanks, Randy. Lila Bialy's new album is called Your Requests. Here's the opening song. Welcome back to the Jazz Session. I'm glad to be back, Jason. It's been three years, I think. It, I think you were on in 2021, and then you were on with Nikki um, in 2022. So you have joined the, not only have you joined the Three Timers Club, but you are in a very rare group. Uh, I'm, I'm not even 100% sure there's another member of people who've been on three years in a row. Well, Lovely we'll to have back. you back. Oh, thank and you, Jason. We're here, uh, unlike the last time, we're here to talk about an album of standards. It's called Your Requests, and uh, never one to shy away from the obvious question. I'll just start in the obvious place, which is why an album of standards? So you and I chatted in 2021 about, you know, this pop jazz space that I've occupied for a number of years, and it is definitely um, stylistically my home. However, um, I've also made a game of asking my friends and followers what they want to hear me play. And usually it's in relation to live shows. So so I started this thing called the Request-O-Matic in 2013. And I was already doing it kind of unofficially before 2013. And then I decided to make it a thing in 2013. And the idea was anybody could request any song they wanted to hear, no restriction on genre, because, you know, again, as part of occupying this this space that is like the nexus of jazz and pop and other styles, I thought it would be really fun to hear what songs people might want to hear us do. And and the idea was that they would be non-jazz songs, that they would be, uh, you know, like Let's Dance, which made it onto my self-titled album, or I Think It's Going to Rain Today, Randy Newman, um, Yellow by Coldplay. And, uh, and I've had probably 30 or 40 requests um, through the request tomatic and they're all like m- mainstream tunes or or not jazz tunes 
And so then when I was considering my next move, <laughs> what am I going to do uh, in the studio? I had already written a bulk of original songs that might come out this November and it's a winter songs project, but I was like, okay, I feel like I need something else in the interim. What would be interesting. And if I'm totally honest, easy ish, you know? And so I said, okay, well, I will, I will ask my, my people online uh, what they want to hear us record. I'll do a request-o-matic album. But I thought rather than have it just be any song anybody wants to hear, let's let's give them a focus. And so I thought it would be fun to make that focus the Great American Songbook for a change. You know, go back to my roots, if you will. Um, you know, when I first started playing jazz, you know, these are songs like Autumn Leaves. I think that was the first jazz standard I ever learned. So I got 150 requests over Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then I had to whittle it down to, to the kind of the top 10. And Jason, I have to tell you, and again, this is something that I don't share necessarily often, but some of these arrangements I actually had already written when I was fresh out of college, like Bye Bye Blackbird. I think I arranged that in 2004, but it had never really seen the light of day. And I kind of liked the arrangement. So I thought, you know what, let me dust it off. So that was one of the requests that came in and, and all the others that you hear on the album, you know, the, the songs that make up your requests. So anyway, that was my long-winded response, but it's been great fun returning to the old chestnuts, right? Because they're classics for a reason. And so that, that's been a real education of sorts. Um, and I have, you know, while I was able to pull some old arrangements, I did also, of course, craft some brand new ones, like, but not for me and, and Corcovado and, and, um, uh, Funny Valentine with Kurt Elling and My Favorite Things and, and a few others. This album is a real showcase of arranging, and sometimes that hues more closely to what folks would expect harmonically and even melodically, and sometimes it takes a lot of chances. And so I'm curious, just talk about your approach, because I mean, these you've already named a few of the songs, but these are all songs people are going to know. These really are like classics mm -hmm. of the Great American Songbook, but a lot of the arrangements are surprising and fun and really interesting so yeah i'm just curious how you how you approach these and in what if any sense of like here's a thing i can touch and here's a thing i can't touch for example do you, does yeah. that ever factor in absolutely that's that's really well put and speaks to the process because for me you know i have likened it to and maybe it's because we just finished our own home renovation but 
I've likened it to a renovation. So when I'm writing my own song, I feel like I'm building a tune in large part from scratch. Um, there may be some essential raw materials there that already exist, but but with a, with an arrangement, I do feel like the bones are there. The bones of the house are good. And, you know, from one song to the next, it might be a more involved reno. So, for, for example, um, Bye Bye Blackbird definitely pushes the envelope more harmonically. Uh, blame it on my youth and my favorite things. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing the harmonic structures a little more and, and, and trying some new things out myself on those ones. However, you know, what I will often do, because I, I feel like it's important not to go too far. I, I appreciate like, do you know the band Dirty Loops? Yes. I appreciate <laughs> like, they're like the Olympians of arranging and, and they, it, it's extreme. It's like quite extreme what they do. And it's great fun. And I love them. But for me, sometimes it goes a little too far. So, you know, I do feel like the melody needs to, in large part, remain intact. For me, that's like, you know, it's the spine of the arrangement, more so than the harmony. And actually, that makes sense, because if you think about what people can copyright, and, you know, this has been in the news, right? Like, of late, when, when you see the battles between, whether it's like Lady Gaga and Madonna, or Robin Thicke, and um, was it Alvarine? Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye, Marvin Gaye, thank you so much. You can't copyright changes, but you can copyright a melody, and people do, right? So when we talk about music and lyrics, music in large part refers to the melody um, from a copyright standpoint. Um, And that's where I feel like there's so much room to to bend things harmonically. But I do, you know, again, for the listener, so I'm going to just quickly share a story about something Maria Schneider told me when I was a young arranger. And I thought I was so hip. I was, I was a student at Humber College. <laughs> <laughs> and she was my hero. She was my hero. Like I wanted, I wasn't really singing much yet. And I wanted to be a big band composer. That was my dream. So Kenny Wheeler, Maria Schneider, Jim McNeely, you know, Vince Mendoza, these were my heroes. And Maria came to our school and I had written an arrangement, a big band arrangement of Stella by Starlight. And I had called it and not a dream. And I had done this whole dreamy beginning that was reharmonized and had all these count- contrapuntal lines. And I thought it was so clever. And oh, Maria's going to love this. And she listened and I could see her following along as the band is playing it. And then I had this section in the middle that was like a surprise. It was a new section Ba ba ba, and and it was it was it was really it was almost like a new song, and she said to so she listened she's patient she listened through we got to the end, and then she said okay so great arrangement I'm listening I'm I'm you know sort of cozying up to the music, and then you pulled the cover right off of me like you whipped it off. <laughs> And so that stuck with me where I thought, you know what, you got to give people somewhere to hang their hat, like, at some point, and that's why in Bye Bye Blackbird, you know, I do, in the middle of the tune, allow, like, like I, the, the original changes are there, here they are, just in case you don't remember how they sound, you know what I mean? And, and so having those just familiar points along the way that people can, can kind of rest on, 
you know, it's like, it's almost like the concept of tension and release. So here's something new. Okay. Here's something familiar. Here's something new. Here's something familiar. So that's a big part of my process. The episode that aired right before this one was an interview with Stephen Bernstein, the trumpeter and band leader and arranger. And uh, he said something not dissimilar to what you were just saying. And I had remembered seeing him say this thing live many, many years ago, which was his band, Sex Mob, did an album of the music from James Bond films. And I went to see them at the Knitting Factory and they played this like, you know, incredibly out music and it was really wild and fun. And then they would like drop in the James Bond theme and the room would go nuts. And he said he realized that like if you if you give people those anchor points, yes. you can take them as far away as you want to take them. And then if you drop in eight bars of the James Bond theme or whatever, yes. people are right there with you because they feel like, oh, okay, I'm not totally lost. Yeah. I'm back. I understand where I am. That's beautifully put. I, I love the word anchor points. And it, it's it's almost like you're you're in your car and you're you you're off-roading. You're like not following GPS. But at some point, especially if you have a destination in mind, you're going to want to see something familiar so that you can enjoy like something that reassures you that you are, in fact, heading in the right direction and you know where you are. And then and then you can enjoy all the new sights and smells and sounds and and enjoy the the adventure. Right. Yeah. So I think uh, I want to talk about the guests for sure, but I want to talk about the band first because I think the band is essential to to making all of this music work and the band is really fantastic. So can you just take us through who they are? Yeah. Oh, these are my guys. And I'm sorry, I have so many tangents, Jason, but you're you you're so generous to allow people to really share about uh, you know, the 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 holistic process. So for me, um I years ago had the opportunity to pursue an album with John Patitucci and Brian Blade. I don't know if I ever shared that with you. It's not something I talk about often. Um, in fact, this was back in 2006. So this is more than a few years ago. And I remember, this is relevant to your question. And I remember at the time, I mean, those are my, that's my dream band. I like, what's not, <laughs> like, come on, John Patitucci and Brian Blade, right? So, and I remember meeting John Patitucci at, I think it was City College in New York. And he was like so lovely and open to the idea. And anyway, um, all that to say, in the end, I decided to go with my regular guys, even back then, because we'd started to develop a relationship on stage, performing together regularly. And I just felt there was no replacement for that chemistry that takes time to develop, right? So fast forward to 2022, 2023, and 
George Kohler on bass and Larnell Lewis on drums. And now my husband who shares the drum chair with Larnell, but Larnell really got the lion's share um, on this record. These are, these are guys, they're family. They're my musical family. And so I do still sometimes think about like, Oh, what would it be like to make a record with somebody else? But I don't know. It's just, I always go return to my musical home. Um, and again, using the word backbone, the, these guys are like the spine of the album. And then, and then we can experiment with certain other elements and bringing, bringing in some new players, but yeah, George Larnell, Ben and myself and Kelly Jefferson, who's the saxophonist. So he, he actually played with me on an album called Tracing Light back in 2011 was when it released officially. And he's been sort of in and out of my, my sphere. He's here in Toronto where I live. Um, and uh, he's an, a marvelous player. He plays with so many different groups. Um, but he's really stayed in Canada. Like he's a fixture of the Canadian jazz scene. And he was just the right fit for this. And I wanted somebody in the room with us for as many tunes as possible. I know that post pandemic, we're all enjoying like getting amazing players that we've dreamed of, of hiring and working with and they record remotely and, and it, often they do such a great job. It sounds like they're right there in the room with you. But in this case, I wanted somebody in the room. And so that was, that was Kelly, Kelly Jefferson. Let's take a break from the episode so that I can remind you that you can support what I do and help keep the archives of this show freely available for everyone by becoming a member for $5 a month. When you join, you'll get a bonus episode with every regular show. You'll get early access to every episode. You'll get additional bonus material, behind-the-scenes updates from me, and you'll get thanked on an episode. You can become a member today at thejazzsession.com join. I write press releases and artist bios and liner notes for musicians and for other folks, too. I also help people work on Wikipedia pages. You can see samples of my work at cranewrites.com. I'd love to write for you, so check out the samples and get back in touch. Now back to the episode. sounds fabulous on it and i think one thing um i wanted to to note for people who uh may be being introduced to you with this interview um is that the piano player on the record uh is also in the room with us right now as, as we say uh and i think that's important because um i remember uh, so i grew up listening to nat cole with my grandfather Ooh. And yeah. uh, like that was the first music I listened to before I got into any other kind of music. And then one day I discovered that he was also a piano player. And not only was he a piano player, but he was a piano player at an extremely high level. Like he wasn't just comping simple chords behind himself. He shredded on the piano. 
And so on this album, there's a lot of really incredible piano playing. And I, I think might lead people to think, oh, I wonder who the piano player is in this record. And I think it's important to point out that it's you, <laughs> but also to ask whether you feel it's Im- important either to point out that it's you or whether you whether you take any steps to not let the totality of your musicianship be subsumed to the fact that you're also the person out front singing the words. I'm just curious about whether that's a thing you even consider. Mm-hmm. It is. And funny, funny you should ask, because as we've gone out and toured this music live, I've really had to find my confidence and my courage again as a player, because when I was in my 20s, I was more a piano player than I was a singer, but I had this arm injury that I was dealing with and and uh, and that was what kind of redirected me to singing and composition and arranging. And those became almost more important tools uh, in terms of my artistic expression than playing, because I just felt I didn't have access to the full breadth of my technique. So anyway, um, but I was more of a player back then than I have been for the past like 10 plus years, 15 years. I've just started more and more increasingly over time farming out all my solos. Like I I just, you know, I would rather hear Larnell or George or Ben or Kelly or whoever might be guesting with the band um, play than play myself. And so with this repertoire, especially as we go out as a trio, like there is no getting around soloing. And so I'm, I've been nervous. I've been like quaking in my boots and losing sleep over it, but it's been, it's been healthy and important to really re-embrace my voice as a pianist because I do, I mean, it's so integral to the arrangements, right? And I write, I do write semi-complicated arrangements in terms of the piano parts and, and they are very much composed. You know, we, they crack open a little bit live and, and, and then take new shape as will happen with jazz, but but, um, you know, I, I start with the piano when I sit down and arrange almost invariably. I mean, occasionally I'll hear like with pennies from heaven, I was, I was on a plane <laughs> and I just heard this boom with that sort of poinciana groove. And I was like, I sang it into my phone, but usually I'm at the piano and, uh, and that's where it begins. So yeah. I, and fun, funnily enough, Jason, I've had a couple of things happen over the years. So Billy Childs, who I love, um, he wanted to produce an album for me. Um, This was back in 2007. And he came over to my home. He was on tour with Chris Bode. We were both working with Chris Bode. Um, My my time with Chris was very short-lived, but Billy and I struck up a friendship and I had long been a fan of his. And he wanted to produce an album. And as part of that, he was going to be the piano player. I mean, again, you could not ask for a better pianist than Billy Childs. I revere him. I'm I'm like, you know, an absolute fledgling compared to him. He is a giant. And what is what's not to want? Billy Childs? I mean, oh my goodness. But somehow the way that I play piano and accompany myself is so integral to the music and the artistry, the songs it was difficult to imagine not inhabiting that role. And I would never, Jason, liken myself to the great Aretha Franklin. However, I will say, and you've probably heard the story, 
you know, when she was in the studio and she, she was very young and it was really her first outing, she'd been heard, uh, you know, by the, the powers that be and everybody was super excited about her unreal gifts. And she's in the studio and she's singing away and they've got a band backing her. And it's great. I mean, it's Aretha Franklin, but something wasn't quite gelling. And it was when they said, okay, let's have you sit down and accompany yourself that everything just coalesced. And so I do think there's something to that. Um, although I will say that I have thought about doing, making a duo record where I work with my favorite pianists. So Taylor Eichstey, Billy Childs, Aaron Parks, dreaming of Robert Glasper, you know, at Robbie Botoge from here in Canada. It's a huge list, Jeffrey Keezer. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. Uh, so who knows, that, that might be something really fun to try. So we've talked, kind of talked about the band, and there are uh, quite a number of guests on the record too. And I do appreciate that f- the majority of them you chose from the jazz session archives. Uh, so all people who have been guests on jazz <laughs> session, so that I can self-servingly say right now that uh, Kurt Elling and uh, Gregoire Marais and Anat Cohen are all in the archives uh, as well as being on this record. But I'm curious, did you did you hear kind of particular uh, voices? And I mean either instrumental or uh, you know, vocalists. Did you hear particular kind of voices in your head and bring those people in? Did you get access to certain people or talk to them about collaborating and then wrote arrangements around it? Is it a combination of that chicken egg thing? I'd love to know more about that. (laughs) It's a combination. So I actually approached Sting about doing My Funny Valentine. And I wrote, I wrote the duet in such a way that it would transition to his key <laughs> because he's sung he's sung it before and I just love him so he responded right away and he said I'd love to collaborate with you but not this song he said I've already released it and I would he actually proposed that we do one of his tunes um seven days and I was like okay keeping that in my back pocket and uh, and that was you know at least a year ago now if not a year and a half and so I've got a you know get off the pot as they say and uh and uh and figure out what I'm going to do there but the next person I thought of was Kurt Elling and he's another another one that I've long wanted to collaborate with uh a male voice so Gregory Porter is on the list gee I wonder why uh Jamie Cullen is on the list and not just for their fame like really for their artistry and what they bring um, the energy, the sound, the spirit, all that. And so Kurt 
uh, was high on my list. And he, shockingly, once I moved to New York City, I now, I'm now back in Toronto, but I lived in New York from 2008 to 2015. And he's very, very close friends with Joe Laurie, who's a friend of mine. And uh, so, so Kurt and his wife, Jennifer, when they were still living in New York, they would come to shows where Joe, Laurie and I would be singing together. And so Kurt was in the audience and I just, it just blew my mind. And I suppose that's what gave me the courage to ask. And actually Jennifer had attended a show of mine in Chicago um, not long ago. And so I wrote to her first to say, hey, you know, and I'm sure it might have put her in an awkward position, but she's so cool. And I said, do you think I could ask Kurt to maybe sing on a song? Like, could I have his email? And she passed it along and I reached out and he sent the most generous response, like the most generous response. And between you and I, Jason, I think I love how my funny Valentine turned out. It is a more basic, less adventurous arrangement. So I think Kurt might have been a little disappointed that it wasn't something where I really pushed the boundaries more because that's what he knows. That's how he knows me. And so I think he was kind of like, oh man. But then I think that also led to him doing what he did, which is that he didn't sing a single note of the melody. <laughs> and, and as we were discussed, as we were discussing before, I stick quite closely to the melody. And so he sent us his part, which he did record remotely in Chicago. And my husband, Ben, who co-produced the album with me, he texted me because he listened first and said, I don't know if we can use this. And I was like, oh, oh no, are you kidding? It's Kurt Elling. Like, you have, <laughs> like we've invested and, and, and like, what, what would we say? You know, so we listened and we were like, okay, yeah, he's really pushing the boundaries. And then what happened was really within hours we both awakened to the genius of what he had done and 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 what struck us because i've hired people i've worked with ambrosak and misery I've, I've i've worked with like some really incredible musicians and sometimes what happens is you know that person is trying to fit onto your album what they you know a certain approach that they perceive and and you want to say no no please just be you like we've hired you to be you don't try and fit a mold like and actually ambrose to just you know go down one other rabbit trail for my self-titled record he actually played overdubbed on five tunes and we only ended up using two and i think he's an absolute bonafide genius but it was because on one of the songs he was so impossibly himself it was so high concept and it was so edgy that it did go too far. And we went, oh man, like if only we could use this, but we just, it's, it's, it's just too much of a disconnect from, from my thing. So with Kurt, we were a little worried that maybe it was in that territory, but then what it did, Jason, was it absolutely elevated the track. And I actually went in and recut my part because my part was very middle of the road and next to his, it was so boring and it was too much of a contrast. So, so he pushed me without even realizing it. Like he was schooling me 
like you know and and so yeah I went in and I re-sang it I still stuck to the melody much more than he but but I did play a little bit more and in that instance I went you know what everybody knows this song everybody knows the melody like I think it's okay to take a few more liberties and so I did my funny valentine sweet comic valentine you make me smile with my heart your looks are laughable Sweet comic Valentine, you make me smile with my heart. You look so laughable, unphotographable, yet you're my than Greek Is your mouth a little weak When you open it to speak Are you smart And I think what he does kind of going back to the, the thing you were talking about uh, earlier and the, the kind of Stephen Bernstein James Bond principle I think the fact that Kurt goes where he goes when the melody does occur in the song and also when you two harmonize, mm. I think it that really elevates those moments where it returns to a closer to a center because you've taken a trip away from it first. Exactly. Exactly. It's that tension release concept. And, and, uh, oh my goodness. Now I just can't get enough of his part. <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed with it, you know, and we actually played it live uh, in Florida. And Betty Banak, the third, was in town. And I'd never met him, but he knew uh, the rhythm section that was playing with me. And so he came on stage and sang it with me. And he sounded fantastic. But, of course, I had Kurt's heart in my ear. It's almost like his is the new melody. Right? <laughs> 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 oh. So yeah. there are uh, two other people as yeah. we're kind of drawing to a close, but that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, we mentioned Anat Cohen and Gregoire Marais, and yeah. uh, they're both quite well-known and they're in the archives. Folks can find out more about them. But there were two names that um, I knew, but I don't know well at all. And those are um, uh, Emily and Katie. So can you talk about them and just introduce us? Yes. Well, introduce me to them. Maybe everybody else listening will already know, but you I know would what? love to know more. If they're folks who are streaming their music on Spotify and jazz fans, I would guarantee, and, and fans of vocal jazz, I would guarantee they've come across Katie George or Emily Claire Barlow. Um, they are streaming superstars. Emily Claire is a brilliant Canadian singer. Um, she spends, you know, some of her time now in Mexico, but um, she she's not that much older than I am, but she started very, very young. 
Her, she comes from a musical family. Her dad is Brian Barlow, a brilliant big band uh, composer, arranger, and and leader here in in the greater Toronto area. And so she was just killing it when I was, you know, in in college. And so I really looked up to her and and uh and was delighted when she agreed to sing on a track with me and actually the album is is has been released on her label so she's an incredible business mind um and so is katie george who i'll talk about in a moment but uh emily claire has uh, a label called empress music and there are not a lot of artists on her label but i just i know people have mixed feelings about streaming platforms but i I'm in a place now where it's like, okay, you beat, if you can't beat them, join them. So I have been fascinated at how, how incredibly she's conquered that space. And so I wanted to learn from her and I thought it would be cool to partner with her as a label. And so, so she is uh, also my, my label person, in addition to being a wonderful guest vocalist and yeah, check out her music. She released an album called Sparkbird in March and it's uh you know kind of born out of her her love of birds and, and her experience of them in Mexico. Katie George is the new the new hot thing in Canadian jazz and beyond. So she just won two Juno Awards in a row, two years in a row. That's the Canadian Grammy. And she's I think barely 25. Um she scats she scats so well. I'm not a huge fan of scatting, but she comes by it honestly. Like she, she has, uh, she ha- had or has a channel called A Lift a Day. I think she's transcribed probably at this point like 650 plus solos, and they're all committed to memory. She's a bit of a savant, and um, and she loves Ella Fitzgerald, and uh, she just absolutely loves the music and 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 lives and breathes it and you can hear it when she sings so she's she's my guest on pennies from heaven and how could i not let her or invite her to scat (laughs) so she does and and she does so beautifully you know she's so musical and and so smart and um you can find her music everywhere and she's constantly putting out new new records it's crazy i mean i i i feel like she's embraced the the kind of release schedule that 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 people had back in the 60s like when when artists were releasing you know a couple two three records a year <laughs> gone are the days right yeah but uh no katie katie is she's in there she's in deep and she's she's cranking out content and much of it original so she does do you know great american songbook tunes for sure but she writes she writes in that vein and that's kind of what she's known for
So as we're getting to the end, I've realized that we've mentioned, or I have caused to mention, the name of every single person on this album but one uh, who plays percussion on this record. So can you introduce us to that person? Yes. So on the arrangement for But Not For Me, um, which is done as a samba, Ben, my husband, Ben Whitman's drums are front and center. But, you know, he he loves he loves percussion. And I just, Ben is so humble. So he plays a zillion percussion instruments. But in this case, he knew we've got to have that authentic Brazilian sound. And so we we put it out to the Facebook hive mind and our musicians community. And Menino Costa's name came back. He he lives in Toronto. But as it happened, he was in Rio de Janeiro when we reached out. So he slipped into a studio the next day and we asked him if he could overdub Pandero. But instead, he sent us, I think it was something like 17 tracks of percussion. <laughs> and Ben was a pig in you know what. He was in heaven. And then, of course, he just threw it all on there and he sent it to me. And I was like, whoa, like it was just a, it was a samba squad. And it was too much. It was too much. So what we what we were able to do then was pick and choose different moments. And and it really does, you know, make the track a lot more fun. But again, we couldn't pull it too far away from the other songs on the album because we want we want there to be a sense of cohesion. Right. So <laughs> cohesiveness. <laughs> yeah. But he's great. He's great. That's fabulous. The album is called Your Requests. My guest is Lila Bialy. It's so lovely to have you back on the show again. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. You're just always one of the best interviews, as I'm sure you hear often from artists. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Thanks to my guest, Lila Bialy. You can hear her other episodes at thejazzsession.com. Just search for her name. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. You can message me for more info about Sarah. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. Hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram and TikTok at the Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session wherever you listen. It really helps me reach new folks. I've also got a second podcast called A Brief Chat. It's an interview show like this one, but with no specific topic. It's just interesting folks talking about interesting things. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. If you value what you just heard, become a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.